In a way, you lost your mojo. Exactly. I lost it completely. And you know, when at the top you lose it, everybody lost it in the company. And you employ the, the wrong people. I mean, the whole thing becomes the values are not there anymore. And my value is always to do business and to do good and to make money. You have to do both in my world. If you don't do both, at the end of your life, you may not achieve anything. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mojo Moments. I'm your host, Thane Calder. Today, we are talking with Bernard Mariette, chairman of Lole and former global president of Quicksilver. And to be honest, I'm very lucky to call him a friend. And every single time that Bernard and I have a chat, it's always a pleasure. This was our first podcast conversation, and it was pre-COVID crisis lockdown, which will explain why it never comes up. So here's my conversation with Bernard Mariette. Bernard, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I consider you a good friend. You know, we haven't spent that much time hanging out together, but every time we have, it's always good. Like we have no BS, straight up meaningful conversations. We tell each other real stories and I always leave there inspired and feeling more energy. Well, first of all, thank you because you're right. Uh, I think we are good friends and, and friendship is not about seeing each other every day. It's about sharing an emotion, sharing values and uh, being happy together. I believe that deeply and you are one of my few yeah, good friends. Yeah, I have a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so to warm things up, what's your favorite yoga move? Oh man, the pigeon. Now I'd ask you to do it right now, but no one can see you. Yeah. What is the pigeon? The reason why I told you that is because I knew you, you will not know how it is, <laughs> but it is a real, real yoga move. And most of the yoga move anyway, have a, uh, an animal name because they are related to animals. But I'm not like an expert in yoga and uh, like I was not an expert in surfing when I was surfing. I just love what you get from it, like this kind of serenity and calmness and strength, mm -hmm. physical and, you know, from a nearly spiritual point of view. And so the pigeon... The pigeon was just to trap you. You want to trap yeah. me? At <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Okay, let me ask you an easier one. Where are you from? Well, that's a difficult one. And also, oh, okay. so, so it's like, uh, you know, like in French, we say, c'est l'histoire qui compte, mm -hmm. pas l'histoire. Okay, I so like that. So it's the story which counts and not the history. So I was born in France, but I don't think I came from France. I'm coming more from the people I've met around the world. The people I met when I was in France, but when I was in the UK, when I was in Asia, when I was in uh, California and here in Montreal. And that's where I feel, I feel comfortable virtually everywhere. I mean, I was living in California for 15 years in Laguna Beach. I mean, it's the closest thing to paradise that you can imagine. And I feel better here in uh, Montreal, where it's one of the coldest places on earth in winter. And the reason why I feel good is because the value of the people, because of the nature surrounding me and the creativity of the people. But I think just even your answer to that says a lot about you how you see the world or how you see things uh, differently. What was your first job? I was picking apples in a field and my, so I didn't like it, of course. Yeah. It was not well paid and it was not fun. So my really first job was to be a machinist at the opera in uh, Avignon. So a machinist? Machinist is a guy you don't see most things around. Oh, okay. sort of like a stage. Uh... Some, yeah, somebody usually dressed in dark. Yeah, yeah. Like that you don't see him at all. 
yeah. is pushing all the furniture and everything for the opera. And that was a- And I was 16. And the beauty of this job initially was for me, first, it was well paid because it was always at night and on weekends. Secondly, there was also the ballet and there was a lot of girls and I was a teenager, so that was just perfect. It's like the Rolling Stones. Apparently, they started the band to meet girls. Well, when you're a teenager, what do you want to do? You want money? No. You want to meet girls. <laughs> but what I really got from it is a passion and a love for the opera at 16. Not because my parents knew anything about opera, not because I had a music teacher, which was fantastic, just because I was spending my days and nights hearing the rehearsal of these things. And I loved it. And since that, I got a passion for that. So you, you are a passionate opera yeah. and you started that at 16. 16. Trying to meet girls. For the wrong reason, <laughs> yeah. Let's say tomorrow you have to move to a new place and you're going to be there and you can't leave it for the rest of your life. Where would that place be? Here, Montreal. Yeah? yeah. Yep. I've got several places. But if you tell me, will you be happy to stay your life here in Montreal. Yep. I like everything about it. Will you be happy to stay in the south of France, in the Basque country for all your life? Yep. I will not be happy to stay anywhere if I feel like I'm stuck, but if I'm free and there are the places I'd like to spend my own life, like Ireland, New Zealand, places where people have authenticity, strong culture, but open to the world. And last of our questions here as we warm up, which book has had the biggest impact on you in the last couple of years? I think it's even bigger than that. So maybe it's because I'm deep into meditation and the Dalai Lama book, The Universe in an Atom, is just unbelievable. And I didn't, I mean, usually when books have an impact on me, I don't read them once. I read them like a kid, three times, four times, five times, and then I, I read them again. So that one really had an impact. The letters of Einstein are just unbelievable also, as strong as the Dalai Lama. One of the books who just inspired me the most was A Long Walk to Freedom. What's that book? By Mandela. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a really great book done by a great man. All three books have inspired people. So you're clearly drawn to engaging with that type of... I'm not a good reader anymore. I, I read this kind of thing because I like them. And there is a humanity aspect I love about politics, about peace, about values which I love, and, and uh, it doesn't only inspire me. I mean, that's maybe too strong, but it makes me feel good. These kind of leaders of the humanity and the world have these kind of values. Well, that's great. That was a great warm-up. Let me jump into something here. The core of the show, and we want to deep dive into whatever it is that makes things special and interesting, and, and, and obviously we're talking to business pioneers. So in your story, and one of the things you've done that, that really inspired me and I think a lot of people is your lowly white tours. Not everyone knows about them, but just give a little descriptor on that, and I'd like to dive into that a bit. The lowly white tour is a concept of events around the world which are exceptional for several reasons. The first one is people are coming for yoga session in white and on yellow mats. It happens that they are lowly, but they could be any other brand. They come to experience a kind of emotion and community, but also to experience yoga at a beginner level. So you see families coming, you see kids coming, you see men coming. And the emotion it creates to be together in an incredible place. I mean, we've done Central Park, the Eiffel Tower, the Grand Palais in Paris, the Parc Jean-Drapeau in Montreal, the Vieux Port in Montreal. 
We've done, we've done it like in many, many places. And you we, did it even in the Louvre, I think? Yes, in the museum, in the MoMA. And we have like a, a lineup of places which are just unbelievable in Asia. And how many people are we talking? We're talking between 5,000 and 12,000. I haven't been to one, but I've seen pictures of them. Oh, they're just unbelievable. First of all, they're incredibly visually, just visually. Yeah. So I can't even imagine being there live. Like what's... So, you know, like, first of all, if people don't come in white and they come in black, well, they come in black. And that was one of my concerns. But you will be very surprised. I was very surprised, especially by French people in France. Like we say, well, it's a white yoga session and we want everybody to come in white. And you have to pay 35 euro for that. And you have to be there at seven o'clock on Sunday morning. So I was really concerned that we were going to get nobody. And the few French we were going to get were going to not dress in white. Well, guess what happened? So we opened the entries. So instead of booking 5,000, we booked a little bit more than 10,000. And I thought even with that, I doubt we... we... Oh, so you're like people register, but they won't show up. Yes. Yeah. We call them no show. Okay. At uh, seven o'clock in the morning on the Champs-Élysées, there was a lineup of people dressed in white until halfway to the Champs-Élysées. And when we filled by 5,000 people the Grand Palais, there was the same amount waiting. And I had the duty to go and tell them, look, sorry, uh, it's full. Fit you in, yeah. And remember, it's French people. So they have a kind of culture of being upset. So I walk all the way to the line, one by one, saying, I'm very sorry, it's full and we cannot accommodate you. We'll try to do another one. And there's not one single person who got upset with me. Everybody said, thank you for coming to let us know. And they left. It was unbelievable. But then the magic inside was just like to the next level. Everybody cried. I cried. It was just magic. And I'm just picturing like people seeing all these people going, you know, there's always strikes. Every time I go to Paris, there's a strike. And But people are like, what strike is this? Everyone's in white. What is this one all about? And this was the first time you did it in Paris? That was the first time yeah, in Paris. Why do you think people we're gravitating towards us. I don't think anymore. I'm sure about it. I can see that people get less and less together. You go to a restaurant and you look around you. I mean, that's very interesting. And you see people eating together, but both on the telephone. So it's easier to connect. Today, I have the impression it's easier to connect with somebody on your phone than with somebody physically. But I think people are missing this, being together. People are missing a kind of communion, not uh, religions or whatever, but being together, sharing what 99% of the people share, which is peace, harmony, beauty, music, all these things. When we created the White Yoga Tour, my idea was to put together everything I love. And the team in Lole who has executed that, and one of them is Natalie Benda. And I've got to say, she surpassed the vision I had. But for example, the vision was about being together, young and old, women and men, people educated and people non-educated, rich and not as rich and even poor. And the idea was to put together everybody feeling good. And to feel good, you have to erase the distinction, what created distinction. And if you really look, it was like the cleanness of Californian new wave mm -hmm. combined with some clean, I mean, it was looking like a military type of thing. Like, yeah, because it's quite Cartesian, yes. everyone's lined up. So when you mix both, I mean, you create this emotion and the music gets to the next level. Oh yeah, because that's one of the key features, which we didn't mention, is there's always music. Live music. 
at the center, whether it's... I mean, in Paris, it was the opera, okay. the orchestra of the opera, because I told you I wanted to put everything I love. So it was about aesthetic. It was about peace. It was about sharing everybody inclusive, not exclusive. So the white yucato is really like one of the best things I've done in line with my values and my vision. And did you see that coming? Is this something you'd been kind of percolating on for years or did it just come? No, no, it's very strange. I know where it's coming from because I walk around all the time. I share with people like you. I share with thousands of people. Truly share, not with an agenda. Share, be interested by what they're doing. And something always sticks to you if you truly open and you truly listen. And then you don't know why, but one day, boom, it's popping out. And so I love being with people sharing the same thing. And in Spain and France, we have something called Les Fêtes de Bayonne and the Pampelona party. And it's unbelievable. Everybody's in white with little red scarf. And you see kids like three years old and 80 years old. And they're all dressed in white and they go out and they party. And of course, at the end of the day, late at night, they generate into a too heavy party. And potential red wine stains. on. Yeah, it's not as white, exactly. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's a communion. And I tell you, they don't spend their time on the telephone. They are together and they're having fun. And it's great. It's just great. So I always thought I like this kind of unity through one color. And I like this inclusivity from old to young from for everybody. And one day I went to a yoga event on Times Square. And it was noisy, dirty. Everybody was wearing whatever they wanted. So there was no unity. When I joined, I didn't have a ponytail. I was not an expert in yoga. So everybody was looking at me. Oh, this guy. And I could tell that it was exclusive. Oh, you had to do a headstand to be able to be coming to this thing. So I thought, wow. That's not what I thought about yoga. I thought yoga was peace, serenity. And this is where I had the epiphany. Okay, I'm going to do one in Times Square with all the advertising screen in white and yellow, speaking about peace. I'm going to stop the traffic. And in the middle, I'm going to do this event. So I tried and Of course, it was just impossible. It's actually because all those screens are like, no, 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 pay us. That was the story. Because was the city on board to do it? Yes, the city was on board. And... Uh, I got some of the advertising saying, fantastic, we're going to, to do it. But of course, you always have the odd one saying, oh, I'm going to take advantage of it and I'm going to do my ad. So it was either we do it perfect, either we don't. So I decided that we were going to start in Montreal. And again, the city was great. We did it at the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. It was just magic. And then after Central Park uh, accepted the MoMA, all the museum, you know, in Spain, in France, this thing could have a life on its own. So interesting because what you've done, there's so many layers of this, but you've, you've brought not in a narcissistic way, but a real personal passion and interest. Something that's really meaningful to you, yeah. to a business. You know, when people think of business, they always think of like selling and transacting and where you, you've essentially said you felt comfortable blending those things. It's more than comfortable. The reason why I started in Lolly Team is because I realized I could integrate my values, all my values into this brand. And it happens that my values were in line with the culture of Montreal, in line with uh, the current trends, which is about taking care of the planet, taking care of people around you, taking care of yourself, your health, but not only your physical health, your mental health. That's the luxury I decided I was going to live is to live within my passion surrounded by people who were sharing the same passion. So there's nothing better. 
I don't call it work, honestly. I call it my life. And uh, the people who were with me at Lolly or the people who were with me at Quicksilver, they're my friends. They're truly my friends. And I still see them. I still share the same thing. I mean, when somebody uh, uh, in surfing is not doing well, I'm writing to him saying, what the hell is going on? That's the way I want to live. And then, yes, I'm selling clothes because I also love clothes and kind of fashion, lifestyle. I believe that everybody is wearing clothes at the end of the day. And so we have to do something good for them. I mix everything. You said a lowly, you're able to pull it all together. And you mentioned Quicksilver, which wasn't your business. Neither Lolly, by the way. I didn't start Lolly. You became one of the partners. Yes, yeah. but same with Quicksilver. Okay. I tell you, I'm not uh, an entrepreneur who can start things. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. You need a hell of energy. And I mean, this is impossible for me to start from scratch. But when I see people, when I see a team and I see they loved their core business, I know that on top of this core business, this core community, which usually is exclusive, you can build something way more inclusive on the values of what they build. That's what I've done with Quicksilver. It was a surf company for surfers. That's it. That's all. Just to contextualize, we're talking when was it? Early 90s. And the company was doing around 25 million. And it was a really for surfer brand. It was surfing for surfer. Okay. Done by surfer. And when I joined, I joined because it was cool. Joined because I was single and it was really cool to be single in the surfing. Is this going industry. back to like the opera thing? <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I was single. I loved these nature things. I thought the move on surfing were beautiful and I didn't realize it was a business. The story is that I was working for L'Oréal and my boss, who was, has become the number two of L'Oréal, told me, well, I don't think you'll be happy in L'Oréal. You're going to become like me. And becoming the number two of L'Oréal was my dream. <laughs> but I, I thought, I really thought it's because I was not good enough for L'Oréal, you know? Oh, you took it as a kind of criticism or... A yeah, just a nice way to say bye-bye. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think I was not good enough for L'Oréal. I was good enough for something else. So I left. I went for a small company called Timberland, very small company at the time. I mean, was working with the son of the founder. When I say working, I'm embarrassed because it wasn't work. It was, again, a lot of fun. People will say it was hard work, but it was not hard work. It was like when you love something, when you like something, it's easy. Then it became a work and I started to have a strategy of becoming the big guy. But there was only one big guy and two guys, the son of the founder and me. There's two reasons why you don't succeed uh, to be the number one when you have the son of the founder. Number one is because he's very smart, Jeff Schwartz. And number two is because he's the son of the founder. Yeah. So I thought I was going to go back to L'Oréal, but I had two years. So I said, well, maybe I'll go around the world surfing and with these guys. But I couldn't afford it. It was, you know, I couldn't pay for the traveling. I couldn't pay for the accommodation. So I worked a little bit for them, like doing the finance. They had, they had no idea what finance was about. And, th and this is in, in... Early 90s. In France or in... In France, but yeah. very quickly, uh, Hawaii, then in Australia, then in Fiji. I mean, it was a dream job. So were you credible to be doing the finance or... Oh, yeah, yeah. I was I'm kind of French CPA. Okay, so you, you had the skills. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. When I say I have a passion for marketing... I also have a passion for numbers. Okay. It's usually not the case, but I have passion for numbers and marketing is not the right word, but creating emotions. So after a little while, they told me, well, Bernard, why don't you work for us? I mean, everywhere you went in three months, you fixed up things. I didn't fix things. I mean, it was not broken. <laughs> I just organized. Yeah, yeah. So I told them no. 
and I stayed for more than 15 years. You eventually ended up in California and yeah, running the show and, and building the company to 2.5 billion. It's incredible. It looks incredible, but you don't see it when you're in it. You're in it because you're passionate and you see people around the world the same. It's not because you have an American passport that you're different than a French kid with a French passport or an Australian. If you are on a niche like Quicksilver was, the lifestyle can appeal to many people in the world. And so first of all, you appeal to all the kids in the world, but also not kids, all the demographic who feel that they still have the same lifestyle. They still want to go surfing. They still, I mean, you can see people at 70 surfing and I tell you, they have the values and the spirit and the lifestyle. But it's interesting, you, you know, that's, I remember having Quicksilver gear, you know, and I've surfed once in my life. Yep. But when I remember, you know, when I'd have my Quicksilver t-shirt and it felt great, it would translate that emotion despite the fact that I'm not surfing. No, no, but, but it was a real thing. It was not a fake marketing. The more we grow, the more we reinvest into the ecosystem. And that's my philosophy. People can copy and that's okay. I mean, that's the way the world, uh, but my philosophy is to make the ecosystem you are in strong, which means to help your competitors to become strong. And sometimes they will help you to help your distributors, to help your suppliers. Everybody has to help each other to create a better ecosystem. And the whole thing collapses usually when it becomes a pure financial game, which happened to me. When we were doing around 2.5 billion, I realized that, you know, I was watching the stock price maybe every 15 minutes. Oh, really? Okay. And I was leaving my day. I was going home. If the stock was up, I was feeling good. And if the stock was down, I was feeling bad. By 0.1%, I was feeling bad. But I didn't realize it at the beginning. I realized it when my assistant, who had a lot of stock option, was looking at me like, hmm, maybe you lost the touch because we lost 0.3%. And I realized that. And I thought, oh my God, I become somebody without passion except money. And money is essential, but it's a tool. It's not anything else than a tool to do better things. You need to have this tool. You need to be healthy financially for the right reason. When it becomes for the wrong reason and the tool becomes the objective, then that's what I've done. I left. And then you, you went to Lole. Now you've... But I didn't go to Lole like that. It looks like it was a planned transition. It wasn't. I left because I didn't want to feel like every day like that. Like, well, I'm going to do everything I can for the stock to go up. In a way, you lost your mojo. And in, exactly. In... I lost it completely. And you know, when at the top you lose it, everybody lost it in the company. And you employ the, the wrong people. I mean, the whole thing becomes... The values are not there anymore. And my value is always to do business and to do good and to make money. You have to do both in my world. If you don't do both, at the end of your life, you may not achieve anything. So I knew that was what I wanted to do at the time. I'm always also a very close friend of Chip Wilson. From Lululemon. From Lululemon. But at the time, he had a snowboard company. So what was the brand? North Wave. Does it exist still? Or? I think so, but it, it's a snowboard company. So it's, they have a tough time at the yeah. moment. But Chip always had a, a great vision, even when his brand was small. And so I discovered it was possible to do uh, with him a business with yoga. And trust me, Lululemon was very small at the time. It was 2007, 2008, uh, 100 millions roughly. And so I was going to join forces with him, but I didn't want to work for a company uh, who was on the stock market. So at that point, they're already listed. Just. Yeah, okay. just listed. And not because I didn't like, just because I wanted to break from it. Yeah, and maybe you knew what that did to you. It sort of brought you into that. Yeah, and, and to be honest, it's okay if he does that when you do 2.5 billion and you develop 
the lifestyle around the world, I would have been quite happy to do it again. But not at that time. I mean, I needed a break and needed uh, to breathe and not to have a quarterly pressure. Yeah. And so I looked around the world in the places where I wanted to live, which was Canada, North California, Ireland, and New Zealand. If there was a place, a business that I could add my vision and my leadership to and bring everything together, the people and the values. And I found Loli, which was very small, around 15 million, part of a great company that two Quebecois have founded, Eric Danjou and uh, Evelyn Tramp, which had everything which I needed to build. And in fact, they were more known for Orage, right? The ski brand. Yep. And Lole was like this little yep, thing segment. on the side. Right? Yep. No, no. Uh, both Eric and Evelyn are fantastic entrepreneurs and they have a good nose for what is next. I'm good at taking it from there to the next level. So you did? Well, we did. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, this kind of thing don't happen on your own. We did it together as a team and the energy and the passion which was into this uh, brand was incredible. But we did it in an environment which was very difficult. Retail, this last 10 years has been like challenging for everybody. If the rent are just going to the roof, the Amazon of this world have been destabilizing the whole system. So it was very difficult to grow as a business because our traditional customers were having serious trouble and because we couldn't rent space to acceptable financial level. So we did it. We did it because of people who were great at doing product, because of people who were great at sharing the emotion through the white tool, but through plenty of other digital things. But I tell you, to do things today is a different type of journey. Before, the rules were very simple. You had to build a business who was profitable. That was it. And you were doing that, you were good. Today, there's one set of rules where you have to do that, but you have another set of rules where it doesn't matter. If you are considered as disruptive and digital, you get the financing, the cash flow, which you need to build your business. So you're competing with different rules and, and that makes business difficult. However, from a brand point of view, I mean, I think Lolly now is second to, to none. I mean, even Lululemon, you know, we all have been inspired by Lululemon pants, uh, the yoga pants, all of us. But I think Lululemon has been inspired by our Lolly White Tour. If you look what they do in Asia, it's a copy collet than what we've done here. And I'm very proud of it. It's okay. It's a compliment. Yes. And also, the more we share these values, the better it is. Ten years ago, we invented a program called the Yellow Program, which was a program in which you bring your old jacket, we give you a discount on your new one, we resell it, and 100% of the sales, not the profit, of the sales were going to bank food so to food banks to food banks sorry yeah yeah it was incredible because usually they get food which is already good but when they get cash the leverage they can do with it is huge so it was good for the planet because we were reusing yeah. the jacket it was good for for us for lolly because if you were bringing like a colombia jacket then you're becoming a lolly fan it was, so it didn't have to be a lolly brand you don't know it was any jacket and it was good for the food bank because they had cash so that's one of my favorite programs, but it was 10 years ago. And when I launched it, I remember like one brand, I'm going to say it who, it's North Face. One of the reps told me, I don't know, you cannot resell North Face, but he was a nice guy. Against the rule. Yes, against the rule. And I remember I said, fair enough. I tried to explain to him, but he was a good rep, so following the rules. So I said, well, I'm going to call the North Face guy, the guy. Yeah. I knew him. So I called him and I said, look, it's okay. But honestly, I think it will hurt you if I said, except North Face, because they don't want it. 
And the guy told me, no, 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 don't put North Face out of this program. I think it's a great program. We really appreciate Because can you imagine if I say North Face doesn't want that? Yeah, everybody but North Face. Yes. And that's where like... Why? But no, no. In fact, there were big support like the Colombia of this world and everybody. And I wish we dropped this program way more than what we did. We're still doing it, but we haven't scaled it. And that's what we need to do to scale it. Yeah, you need, we often hear about what Patagonia is doing. We were doing it before yeah, Patagonia. Yeah, exactly. Patagonia is an inspiration to us on many, many fields. But this program, we were the first to do it. That's the only proud I have. Not being the first, but, you know, being the pioneer. I'm always happy that people copy us, but copy us better. I hate when people copy us and don't reinvest into the system, the, the community. So the fact that everybody now does it, including H&M, I'm not upset. I'm very happy. And they have the scale. Or... Yeah, and that means we're going to live in a better world. Now, the role of Lole is always to be ahead of these programs to inspire others. That's what I think we are. And so if people copy us, that's fine. So one little last territory I'd like to explore with you. If you were to give yourself, say the 20-year-old kid that was apple picking, give that Bernal apple picking kid advice based on what you know now, like, what would you say? It's very interesting because what I know is that I truly don't know anything. Before, you know, I would have said, well, do an MBA and do this and do that. And, but now I, I honestly don't know what I will tell him. I mean, one thing I will tell him is be yourself. Don't try to copy somebody because you've seen them on Instagram. Don't try to copy somebody because he's making tons of money. Be yourself. Try to be really, really good with people. Avoid being selfish. And by the way, when I'm telling you that, this is things I'm telling myself. That's what I will, I will tell him. Be yourself and, and don't worry about if you're not in the path. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bernal, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure for me to talk with Bernal. I always leave those conversations fully energized and inspired and excited about what could be. Now, let's pull out some of the takeaways. I'm joined here by CloudRaker's digital strategist, Gisela Slizer, who in the past life actually worked at Lole. So what were some of your takeaways, Gisela? Uh, well, speaking of past lives, one of the things I took away was the amount of lives Bernard has had and how that's bringing him from one to the next or to the next challenge. I feel like there's something there about finding a new path or a new adventure that brings him to his mojo. Yeah, well, yeah, no, and it's true. Like he worked in opera. He worked with Quicksilver inspired by his love of surfing. And now with Lole is inspired by his newfound love for yoga and meditation. It's really interesting how it's almost connected on a personal level. And then it turns into a business mojo that sort of channels through his own internal passions and trying to always strike that balance between personal and work. Yeah, there's something almost liberating about his approach to the next job or the next life, if you will. And um, I was taking notes as he spoke and I wrote down this quote, it's the story that counts, not the history. Uh, so in a way, he's liberating himself in this ability to tell his story the way he sees it in retrospect. Like there are lessons learned from past lives that maybe he's bringing to the next one. A little bit like Andy was talking, right? Like he talked about several lives. Yeah, I think your quote, it's interesting because, well, he's a great storyteller on top of it. You know, his story in Bangladesh 
which we're going to share probably in a bonus episode because it was such a long, awesome story. It's almost like he sees his business ventures as a story building, not businesses. Yeah. Gisela, thank you. That was great. Thank you. And taking us away is Chris Vellin. Don't forget, subscribe. Take care. Speak soon. Be safe. Everything.